Um, it, is, it is my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Ryan Benneke. Um, I've known Ryan from our college years. Uh, we were both in uh, what was formerly known as Campus Crusade uh, at Cal. Um, Ryan, after college, joined uh, Crew full-time um, and has been with Crew since then. And for four, I think for 14 years was serving um, college students in Japan, in uh, Kobe and Osaka. Uh, but more recently, uh, God has called him to lead the um, outreach in Kyoto. Uh, he is uh, married to his wife, Junshin, whom they met uh, serving in Japan. They have three kids. They were here just now. Uh, Layla, Hannah, uh, Micah, and Hannah. Um, and they've been around in the States for the past couple of months raising support and also because of their visa requirements, uh, needing to uh, leave the country for a bit. Uh, but in God's good providence, um, uh, Ryan was available to speak in, in Ulysses' absence today. So it was really perfect and we're grateful for that. And so, um, yeah, let's welcome Ryan. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you, John, for that introduction. Uh, we were planning to be here uh, originally this week, uh, not expecting that I would be the one who was speaking, but uh, grateful for the opportunity to be able to serve in this way. And it's such an honor uh, to be with you all to worship and to have the privilege of opening God's word with you. Um, as John said, I have been serving in Japan uh, off and on, basically since I graduated from college in 2004. Um, I've had a couple years back in the States during that time, a year living in uh, Seoul, South Korea, when my wife and I were first married. Um, but coming up on 15 years, and just this spring, transitioned to a new role, a new location, serving in Kyoto. This is Kyoto, where we live. Um, so if you would go to the next slide, I think I have a photo of my family as well. Um, so my wife, Jungshin, sitting there in the front. Uh, my daughter, Leela Jinhee, who is seven years old. My son, Micah Jiu, who is four years old. And our daughter, Hannah Jiho, who is two years old, who was supposed to be standing up here at front, shaking the jingle bells, but got stage fright at the last minute and uh, sat with mommy instead. You may be aware, I think, uh, as we just saw, that this is the, the Christmas season. And in particular, today is the fourth Sunday of what is known as Advent, uh, the, the traditional season where Christians anticipate um, the, the birth of our Savior. It's my kids' first Christmas in the States, um, actually. We, again, we live in Japan. Um, when we do come back, it's usually not around Christmas time. It's, it's when the kids have a break, maybe in the summer, in the spring. So they've been asking uh, constantly for the past few weeks, how many more days until Christmas, you know? So they'll, I'm sure on the way home today, they'll say, how many days till Christmas? And so we'll count, you know, seven, seven more days next Sunday. Um, they're not necessarily anticipating it because of Jesus' birth. They're looking more forward to the presents that they're gonna get from grandma and grandpa. Um, but yeah, Advent, it's this season of anticipation, right? When, when we look forward to the day when we remember our Savior's birth on Christmas. But traditionally, Advent is not only a season where we celebrate 
Christ's birth, but it's also a season when we look forward to his second coming, the second advent, when he returns to restore all things and make them new. And so we as Christians now, we live in this in-between time, in between that first advent, remembering what Christ has done and the, and the fact that he is going to come again, and then anticipation of the culmination of all things when he returns. And in the meantime, Jesus has given us a, a task that he laid out for us shortly before he ascended into heaven. This task that has become known as the Great Commission, some of the last words that he spoke uh, before he ascended. You may be familiar with this term, the Great Commission, or even with its contents. Uh, for example, as I was looking at the church website last night, I saw it said this, evangelistic mission is one of renewal's core values and we endeavor to fulfill the Great Commission. And then it gives the reference, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, not only that, but Acts Ministries International, of which Renewal is a member, uh, also identifies this Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as its mission. In fact, all of the Christian life. Um, and so while you may be familiar with this passage, I wanted to look over it uh, again briefly before I get into the, the, the meat of today's sermon. If you would, why don't you just read with me? And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. So if you look at this verse, in the original language, although there are several verbs here, there is one in particular that the entire uh, passage hinges on. Only one that is in command form, and that is the command to make disciples. The rest of this passage really fleshes out uh, how we are to go about doing that. The means is by first baptizing. Uh, that means identifying those who have professed faith in Christ with the visible body of Christ, the local church, through the, the ordinance or the sacrament of baptism. And then, after that, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded, not merely imparting biblical information or doctrine, but teaching them so that we might obey, so that we might not only have right doctrine, but right practice, life and doctrine, as the Apostle Paul says. The passage also lays out the scope of this command, this commission that Jesus Christ has given us. Uh, it begins, go. We are to go wherever we go, we could say, or as we go, or once we have gone, wherever we find ourselves, we are to make disciples. In particular, we are to make disciples of all nations. And when we see nations in this verse, we shouldn't think of modern nation states like the United States or Japan we should think more of people groups or ethnicities. So that is the scope, all nations, all people groups, all ethnicities. And finally, it gives us the duration of this command. How long is this command um, supposed to be obeyed? It says, Jesus concludes this, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so we see that this command is active until Christ returns. Only then will it be fulfilled in full. So although this command was given to the original apostles, it applies just as much to us today, again, who live 
in between the first advent and the second advent of Christ. So this is the Great Commission. It summarizes the missionary task that Jesus Christ has given to his church until he returns. But if I can say this as somebody who works for an evangelistic organization whose purpose is to fulfill the Great Commission, um, I think it is possible that we overemphasize this command. And what I mean by that is when we isolate this just as one other command amongst all the other commands that the Bible gives us, it's easy to ignore or to downplay its significance and how central it is to what God has called us to do in the world as his people. Uh, On top of that, I don't know about you, but I don't find commands to be particularly motivating. Um, I said I've, I've lived in Asia for a long time now, about 15 years, but I'm still very American in the fact that I don't like people telling me what to do. So it's like when somebody says to you, you know, you should just stop worrying or you should stop sinning, right? It's not that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's, it's not information that is the problem, but it's motivation. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how I'm supposed to do it or maybe why I'm supposed to do it. So what we need is not so much information, I think, to fulfill the Great Commission. It's, it's very clear what we are supposed to do. What we need, what we often lack, is, is the right motivation. And I think... Uh, that comes, the motivation to fulfill this comes when we understand the Great Commission not as an isolated command, one among hundreds that the Bible gives us, but as an integral part of the story that God has been writing in the world from the very beginning. This story is what New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he calls God's single plan for the world through Israel. And it's that from the very beginning, God has chosen a people so that he might bless all nations through them. It's why this great commission comes at the, most, at the end of the most Jewish gospel in the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever considered that, but you wouldn't think that Matthew, the one steeped in the Old Testament, the one who cites the Old Testament more than any other gospel writer, would conclude with this call to the nations, right? If we're thinking traditionally of what we understand to be the the thrust of the Old Testament. And yet Matthew, precisely because he is steeped in the Old Testament, he understands that this call to go to the nations with the gospel, to bring God's blessing to all peoples on the earth, this isn't something new that Jesus is all of a sudden introducing with this command at the end of the gospels, right before he ascends. This is something that God has planned and that he has been working from the very beginning. And so I think when we understand this plan, when we understand this story, uh, we'll be better able to live out this great commission. And so what I want to do today in the time that remains is to look through three passages from Scripture that I think um, hit some of the high points and lay out what this plan looks like. First, where we come from. Second, where we find ourselves right now in the story. And then finally, where we are going in the end. So let's start first with where we come from, back the Old Testament, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Before I read this, let me just set the stage, the, the context of this verse. Um, this is Genesis 12. If you remember what comes before in Genesis 11 was the incident at the, the Tower of Babel, where after the flood, people quickly returned to their old sinful ways and they rebelled against God, God who had called them, 
back in the garden, and then immediately after, again with Noah, after the flood, he had called them to be fruitful, to be multiply, to, to multiply and to fill the earth. And instead, people chose to gather in one place, to refuse to, to spread out, um, to, so that they might make their names great. And as a symbol of that, they decided to construct this tower that rather than symbolizing their submission to God, would show, that, would show their dominance over him and, and would be a way that they would bring him literally down to their level. The result of this was that God did come down, but not in the way that they were expecting. He came down in judgment. And as a result, he confused their languages and he scattered them all across the globe. So although this scattering of the nations was due to human sin, God planned ultimately that he would use this for a greater good. And he had a purpose even in the middle of it. And so shortly afterwards, God calls one man out of all these nations that have been scattered. And he speaks to him and he says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, there's a lot that we could talk about in this passage, but I want to focus particularly on the last phrase there. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise is actually repeated several times throughout the book of Genesis. And it's interesting if you look at how that is translated in the, um, the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is the exact same phrase that is used in the Great Commission. And what this shows us is that Scripture is being very specific to draw a connection between this initial promise that was given to Abraham and then what we are called to do today in taking the gospel to all nations. The reason that God chose Israel um, through Abraham, was not merely to, to bless them for their own sake. It was never because they were anything special, right? As, as the Bible makes it very clear. It was so that through one chosen people, God would bless all peoples. And so God literally placed them at the crossroads of the ancient world so that when people passed through Israel. When they saw Israel, they saw its laws, they saw its quality of life, they saw its faithfulness to God, that they would ultimately be led to praise him. Unfortunately, as we know through the history of the Old Testament, uh, Israel often failed to be the blessing that God called them to be uh, to other nations, with a few notable exceptions. And so the result was that God ultimately exiled them from the land sent them to Assyria, to Babylon. But even when he brought them back, this promise that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham was still unfulfilled. And so what God chose to do in the fullness of time as we celebrate in Christmas is that he sent his son. He decided to come himself so that in him, this promise might be fulfilled for all people. So that's where we are now. If you would, the next slide. In Galatians chapter 3 um, summarizes this. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There is a lot to unpack in this verse, but if I can just summarize the Apostle Paul writing here, he says that this promise of blessing to the nations that we just saw in Genesis 12 with Abraham, that this was, in fact, the gospel that was preached beforehand to Abraham. This blessing included the nations because it came not through obedience to the law, not by following the law of Moses or whatever law we might establish for ourselves, but through what the Bible calls justification by faith. That is that Christ took the curse of the law that we deserved upon himself, and through his death and his resurrection, he redeemed us from its penalty. So that now, Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. All of us who believe are forgiven of our sins, We are declared righteous and we are accepted in Christ because of what he has done for us. We now, and I'm assuming most of us here are Gentiles, can become sons of Abraham regardless of our ethnic background through faith in the one who fulfilled this promise that God made to Abraham, that is his son, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but through this faith, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit And through the Spirit's power, we can do what was not possible for us to do before, and that is walk in obedience and live in holiness before him. So that now as his ambassadors, we have the the privilege, the responsibility to extend the blessing that comes through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, by making disciples of all nations. So we now are at this point in the story, again, between the first and the second advent, where we find ourselves tasked with this great commission. But in order to live rightly in that story, to fulfill that great commission, it's important for us not only to understand where we've come from or where we are right now, but ultimately where we are going. How does the story end? And we see that in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Why don't you read this one together with me as well? Ready? After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What this verse assures us of, among other things, is that one day, no matter uh, how bleak circumstances may look right now, there will be a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered to worship Jesus. That is the end of the story. And it's important that we keep this in mind. First, because it shows that those who are not yet reached are a priority. God 
promises. He gives us a picture that there will be people from all nations, tribes, and languages gathered to worship him. So when we see that there are people in the world that are still unreached, we know it is necessary for us to do everything we can in order to reach them. Not only that, it encourages us to persevere in reaching out to them because we know that ultimately God's word will be fulfilled and he will be triumphant. Uh, my family and I, we, we minister uh, in Japan, uh, a country that is less than 1% believers despite 500 years of Christian witness. So years ago, um, when I was still single, as I was getting ready to raise support to return to Japan long-term for the first time, I was talking with one of my mentors, uh, someone who had mentored me in high school about some of the challenges we faced in Japan about how ministry was slow going, how there were a few people that came to Christ. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, why would you choose to work there then? You know, and he used this example. He says, when, when I fish, I go to where the fishing's good. Why would you choose to go to a place where the fish aren't biting? And at one level, I understand this, right? So from a strategic perspective, or when we think about our limited resources, we want as many as people, as many people as possible to come, to come to Christ. And so we want to focus on those who are most receptive, right? That makes sense. Um, but I think when we look at scripture, and again, what God is doing throughout this story from the beginning, we see that the maximum number of individuals becoming a Christian is not only the thing that God is most concerned about. God is not only concerned about the maximum number of people, individual, but peoples, that is, as many people as possible, from as many tribes as possible, worshiping him. So just picking up on this uh, fishing illustration that my, my mentor used, um, maybe I can explain it this way. So I, I asked John yesterday um, where people like to go fishing around here, and he said, uh, Baranda Lake in Palo Alto is a good place. So let's say that you went to Baranda Lake in Palo Alto to test out this new bait and see what sort of fish you could catch. And so with this new bait, you succeeded at catching a bucket full of largemouth bass, which is apparently the, the fish that you catch the most there. And so you go afterwards and you tell your friend, this, this new bait is amazing. I can catch any fish I want. And that's true if you're using it to fish for largemouth bass at Baranda Lake. But without testing that bait, that bait in other bodies of water, in other parts of the world, you really have no way of knowing whether it is a good bait or not, whether it is valuable or not, worthy of recommending to other people or not. But if you had, say, a bait that you could use to catch not only largemouth bass, but um, let's say rainbow trout, and not only in Baranda Lake, but in any body of water in the world, then that would be a bait that you could really recommend to people. That would be a bait that is worthy of praise. All right, so obviously the illustration breaks down at several points. Uh, the, the gospel is not bait that we just toss out there in the hope that maybe some fish will, will take a bite. Uh, in fact, it's more like God uh, actively reaching down through his word and grabbing fish from here and from here and from here. Yet still, I, I hope you get the point um, that the bait represents the gospel. And what I think this illustration shows us is that um, there's nothing 
particularly unique, say, about all the same types of people worshiping the, the same God. Okay, so people from the same background, the same social class, same level of education, same political party, same ethnicity, what have you. Uh, the fact that these people choose to, to gather together and worship, in some ways, that can be explained more by sociology than by anything supernatural, right? So that's why when I tell Japanese people that I'm a Christian, they're not particularly impressed by that. As a, as a white European American, it's like, well, of course you are. What else would you be? You know, you're obviously not Buddhist or, or Hindu. Of course you're a Christian. But when they find that there's another Japanese person, you know, who comes from a, a traditionally non-Christian background or, or someone from another culture who is a Christian, then that causes them to stop and take notice and think, okay, maybe there's something different that's going on here. This, this can't be explained just by sociology or background. And so when the gospel in this way takes root among different cultures, especially in those cultures and among people that are not traditionally Christian, there is something about that that sociology alone cannot explain. And it's one way, I think, through this diversity that the church declares and demonstrates the, the life-changing power of the gospel. The greater the diversity that we see of people worshiping God, the greater the effect upon those who observe it. And not only does this diversity make the gospel more attractive and, and testify to its life-changing power, God is ultimately more glorified by it. The more people around the world, from the more different backgrounds, in, in different ways that come to worship him, the more it reveals his worthiness. He is worthy of being worshipped, not only by European Americans in the United States, but by people in Japan or any other part of the world. So although, going back to what I talked about at the very beginning, the, the scattering of nations at Babel, it was the result of human sin. It is not ultimately Satan, but God himself, who is the author of ethnic diversity. In fact, we look at Acts 17, verses 26 through 27, and it says that God is the one who ordained different nations. He determined the places for them to live so that they might seek after him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. It was God who determined that different people groups, different ethnicities would exist, and that they would develop distinct cultures not so that they would remain forever separated from one another, but so that one day, when we all gather on that last day to worship him, when everyone brings their distinct cultural contributions, their backgrounds together, that it will result in greater praise and greater worship for who he is. So God does this not by eliminating diversity. In that sense, he is not colorblind. Instead, he redeems our distinct ethnic and cultural backgrounds in order to bring himself greater glory. So again, this verse, this passage, Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it reminds us that God is not ultimately about just the number of people, but peoples. And so my prayer, my hope, is that Renewal would be a church that actively welcomes and seeks to reach all nations, both locally here in the South Bay, as well as across the globe. So that this church body, uh, what, what theologians call the church uh, militant, um, would 
be a reflection of the multi-ethnic, multicultural reality of what we call the church triumphant. That is, the church as it exists now in heaven, as, as it will one day exist when Christ returns and all people gather to worship him. That, I think, is one prominent way that we can demonstrate and declare the life-changing power of the gospel. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 reminds us that it is worth it. It's worth the hard work to cross cultures for the gospel's sake so that we might see this fulfilled. That is why, again, responding to my, my mentor's uh, questioning of, of uh, our choice to continue to minister in Japan, why we remain there now, even though it can be slow. It's because when I imagine this scene at that last day, where people from all nations, tribes, and languages gather to worship Jesus, I feel like the Japanese people would be vastly underrepresented in that multitude. And so I want to do everything that I can with my life to see as many of them as possible come to know Jesus before he returns. And although there are many challenges, God is working sovereignly to draw Japanese students and Japanese people to himself. I want to share with you just one quick story uh, about a student that we've seen God work in over the last year, um, and hopefully it would be an encouragement. So this is uh, Ryosuke. He's, he's on the right in this picture. He's uh, in the middle there, in the picture on the left. Uh, the other student is um, his classmate and someone who attended the same church with us. Um, Ryosuke was introduced to me in fall of 2020 by a classmate. Uh, because he had told her that he was interested in Christianity, interested in studying the Bible. So we started meeting over the next year, um, sometimes every week, every other week, to, to study the Bible using a variety of different um, you know, studies designed for non-Christians. But honestly, even after months and months of study, it felt like nothing was making a difference. Nothing was getting through. He didn't seem to be changing or understanding things any better. He didn't seem to be any, close, any closer to becoming a Christian. So as I would drive home from those meetings, I would often ask God, God, what am I doing here? Is this, is this making any difference? You know, it doesn't seem to be changing. Um, and after a year of doing this, I felt like I needed to give him an ultimatum. I didn't want to just continue studying indefinitely. And so after we finished another study, I, I asked him, again, if he was ready to trust Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so Josuke stopped and he, he thought about it for a minute. It's like that until so it was awkward. And then he said, no, no, I, I, I don't think I'm ready yet. Said, okay, that's, that's fine. I understand. Um, well, do you want to keep studying the Bible? Yes. Yeah, I want to keep studying. Okay, I'm happy to continue to teach you, but you need to promise me something as well. And that is, if you want to understand really what Christianity is all about. There's only so much I can teach you through a Bible study. If you really want to know what it means like, uh, what it means to, to be a Christian and to, to uh, believe the gospel and the difference that it makes in your life, then you need to come to church. You need to see it um, lived out in community. You need to meet other Japanese Christians. Then you'll have a better idea what this is all about in a way that you can't get just from studying this book. So he agreed. And then a few months later, we had our Christmas Eve service at our church in Japan. Uh, we weren't able to come that night, 
um, because of the kids. But uh, I got a text message from him afterwards, and he told me that um, after the service, uh, a pastor had approached him, and after he'd heard the gospel, I don't know, probably for the fifth or sixth time at least, um, the pastor had once again asked if he was ready to, uh, to trust Christ, and he said he was, and so he prayed then and uh, committed his life to, to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Uh, interesting thing about Japan, though, is um, people don't really identify themselves, or other people don't identify um, them as Christians until they've been baptized. It's really when you're baptized, that, that, that's what marks uh, your, your start, the start of your Christian life. And so from that day on, Yosuke began to meet with one of, one of our pastors for the next few months as he was preparing for baptism and learning more about uh, church life and, and what it meant to be a member of the church. Um, the day before he was scheduled to be baptized, his parents came halfway across the country. They, they stayed at his house and they, they spent most of that night trying to talk him out of being baptized. Because again, Japanese people don't consider you to be a Christian until you've been baptized. So they're okay with you praying a prayer. They're okay with you going to church, even studying the Bible. But you make a, a public profession through baptism. And it's like, that's, that's where the opposition starts. So you know, we've seen students who have been disowned by their families. We, we um, know several women in our church who have been divorced by their husbands because they chose to, to follow Christ in baptism. Um, and so this is a big deal in Japan. So his parents also, you know, thinking that their son has joined a cult or something like that, they, they come halfway across the country to try and talk him out of it. And so the next morning I show up at church, the day he's supposed to be baptized, and the, the baptistry is all set up, Everything's set for the service, and Dioske is nowhere to be seen. And, and one of the church members comes over to me and whispers, you know, his, his parents are downstairs, they're talking with the pastors. They're not going to let him be baptized. You should go downstairs and talk with them. So I went down and sat in for a while, tried to answer some of their questions, their concerns. Um, but at the end, they just asked him, you know, point blank, do you want to be baptized? He said, yes. They said, Okay, we'll, we'll let you be baptized, but you don't have to do it today. You know, let's, let's talk about it a little bit more. Uh, take a few more weeks, a few more months to think about it. Um, and then we'll give you our blessing. He says, no, I want to be baptized today. Are you sure you want to be baptized today? They asked him one more time. And he looked at him and he said, uh, I've met the risen Lord. There's no turning back. So they said, okay, go and be baptized. Uh, that was this past Easter. Um, since then... Uh, and that is the, the picture right after he was baptized. His hair is still wet. And, um, that was this past Easter. Uh, since then, he's continued to, to uh, grow and be involved in the church. He's become one of the leaders of our, our ministry on campus. Um, and he's actually decided, even though he was originally planning to graduate this spring, uh, he's decided to go to graduate school and uh, stay for a couple more years. Not because he particularly wants to go to graduate school, but because he wants to continue to stay in his local church community so that he can grow and be more established in his faith before he ultimately moves back home and starts working. Our God is a missionary God. From the very beginning, he has been on a mission to bless all peoples in the world through his chosen people Israel and through the one who fulfills what Israel was ultimately meant to be, and that is Jesus Christ. 
Through faith in him, all peoples, Jew and Gentile, can now be declared righteous and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in the power of that spirit, can be sent as his ambassadors to make disciples of all nations in anticipation of that day when we will all gather to worship him. This is God's unchanging, eternal plan for the world, and we all have our part to play in it. So how can you be involved? And I'll close with this. I think there are three main ways. We can pray, we can give, and we can go. First, pray. You can pray regularly for unreached people groups and those who are missionaries to them. There are many great resources that will inform you about the needs of these people groups around the world. Um, the Operation World Prayer Guide, uh, the Joshua Project website and app. Um, there's even a series of videos on YouTube where people pray for different countries um, called PrayerCast, etc. Um, you can also pray for the, the ministries that this church specifically supports, uh, Living Word Church in Italy, the AMI International School in Guatemala. What I would encourage you to do is to choose at least one people group, one ministry, one missionary, and set aside time at least once a week to focus on praying for them. And I think you'll find as you begin to pray for these groups, for these people, that your heart, uh, your wallet, and maybe even some of your feet will follow those prayers. So the first thing that we can do is pray. Second thing, give. Give to support the work of the gospel among unreached peoples. You can do that primarily by giving here through your local church to various AMI missionaries and ministries around the world. And beyond that, beyond what you regularly give for your tithes and offerings to the church, you can give to other strategic ministries among unreached people groups. Third and last, you yourself can go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, there are opportunities, again, because this is not merely about um, nation states. There are unreached people groups, I'm positive, living here in the South Bay as well. Uh, you can reach out to them. Perhaps I, I've seen that you partner with, with city teams, so I wouldn't be surprised if among some of those that city team ministers to, those who are food insecure, that there are unreached people groups among them as well. So perhaps that's one way you could help to reach out to those who are unreached. You could also consider going on a short-term mission trip, maybe to help one of Renewal's mission partners. Uh, I was looking at the, the Instagram uh, account yesterday of uh, looking at some of the photos of those who went to Guatemala, I think most recently in September of last year. And I know there have been at least a couple other trips besides that. Um, perhaps that is something that you might consider uh, attending in the future as well. Not only that, but AMI also offers one-year internships beginning each fall. So for those of you who are looking for a little bit longer commitment, um, that was how I ended up in Japan originally. Not with AMI, but by doing a one-year internship with Crew, which turned into two years, which turned into now 14, 15 years and counting. Um, so you never know. For those of you who are hoping to test the water of what full-time ministry overseas might look like, perhaps that internship would be a great next step. Finally, you could just dedicate your life to ministering overseas among unreached people groups. 
Um, so John and I went to, to Cal together. Uh, when I was a senior uh, in college, I attended a fall retreat that we did with, with crew not too far from here in the mountains near Santa Cruz. And we had a time during that retreat where we were praying for different nations. And one of the nations that we were praying for was, was Japan. And I had been taking Japanese for, for several years in school. I was thinking about maybe going there after I graduated to, to work as an English teacher or something like that. Um, but as I prayed for Japan, God really impressed um, the verse on my heart, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so as I thought about that, I thought, you know, all of us, again, are in a position to do the first two things. We can all pray, we can all give. But if those who are willing and able to go do not go, then who will? And I didn't have a good answer to that question. And so again, my plan was to go for one year to maybe come back to the States to uh, work at my local church. But God obviously had other plans. And although I never would have imagined 20 years ago that this is where I would be today, um, serving God long-term uh, as a missionary in Japan, I can say that I have no regrets, that, that I'm so thankful that, that God has given me the, the honor of serving him in this way. So my, my hope, my prayer is that there are some among you today who would hear God say, through the Holy Spirit, um, who will go for us? And that you would answer and you would say, hear my Lord, send me. I have the opportunity to speak at a lot of uh, college groups about missions. And I often say, the fact that God has me here right now is, is not an accident. It's because there are people in this room, and, and when I speak there, it's, it's in the context of coming to Japan on short-term missions, but I say it's because there's people in this room that God wants to come to Japan. And without fail, there's always at least one. And so it's not because I'm a, a particularly great uh, preacher, um, but it's because in God's sovereignty and through the working of his spirit, he uses this to, to call people. And so... I trust that maybe there are some of you in this room that are in that same position too. Whatever that looks like for you, whether it's praying, whether it's giving, but I hope um, from the bottom of my heart that some of you, that God might use this just to plant that seed that would lead some of you yourselves to go um, short-term, medium-term, or Lord willing, long-term to reach unreached people around the world. As I close, I want to invite the, the worship team up and we'll have a time of, of response and, and prayer afterwards. And the prayer team also, if you, if you wouldn't mind, um, can be on standby so uh, can minister to others in prayer as well. God has graciously included us in his plan for the world. from the very beginning, that he would choose uh, a people, first through Abraham, and now through all of us, who by grace through faith have become sons of Abraham and who have been given the Holy Spirit, so that we might be his agents of blessing, that we might be his ambassadors to make disciples of all nations. All of us have a part to play in fulfilling this great commission. This is not one command among many, but as Amai itself says, this is 
the Christian life itself. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are saved not for our own sake, but so that God might continue his saving work through us. That doesn't mean that all of us are called to go overseas, but all of us have a part to play. So I want to close with this. What part is God calling you personally to play today in fulfilling his great commission? What part is he calling renewal as a church to play? I'd encourage you to take some time and respond in prayer now as, as we worship and ask God just that. And whatever's on your heart right now, whatever he may have spoken to you through my uh, inadequate and halting words, I, I ask, I encourage you to just bring that honestly before him. Talk with him. Maybe it's to begin praying for somebody that he's put on your heart. Maybe it's to give to a mission that you've been meaning to support, but you haven't quite got around to it yet. Or maybe you've already gone and you've been thinking about going again. Or maybe even now you feel God prompting you to, to go. You can take some time to pray individually, but it, if any of you um, would appreciate prayer as you seek discernment about what those next steps might look like, I'd encourage you to come up here and I'll be available. The prayer team will be available to pray together with you. And uh, I would also be remiss if I did not say that I, I'm not going to assume that everyone here has already trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior um, or have perhaps followed him in taking that next step and publicly professing that faith through baptism. Our part in God's mission, that first step that we can take is in first responding to what he has already done for us on the cross and how he has justified us through faith, how he has declared us righteous, accepted us, forgiven us of our sins, not because of anything we have done or could have done, but because of what he has done for us. Coming, as we remember at Christmas, and dying in our place and rising again. So if you're considering those next steps, trusting in Christ for yourself personally, following him in baptism, I would encourage you also to pray about that or to come and talk with one of us so that we can pray with you. Uh, with that, let's respond now individually through a time of prayer and worship. And I'll come up and close us in a little while afterwards.